and easier. Wonderful to be with you this morning. I was, uh, I'll share with you what, what hit me as I was worshiping in first service. Just uh, the thought, I know we know this, but from time to time it's probably good to say it. I don't take for granted that we can gather together peacefully and worship our God. Everywhere doesn't have the opportunity to do that right now. Just to be able to come together peacefully and just come in and, and worship and praise our God. It, you got places like Ukraine that are just being devastated in this moment, as you know, in Israel right now. And then we have people even in our church, connected to people in our church, that are being deployed over there now. So just for a moment, I just, just thank God for the peace that He's given us. But I also praise our God who is working peace out eventually in this whole mess. And so I'm just grateful to be with you guys uh, on this morning. Don't take it for granted for a minute. We are uh, coming towards the end of a, of a series, a few more weeks, looking at the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking in that, not just different places where you could look in the Bible. We're just looking at one book of the Bible, the book of John. And we're just asking this question, can we look at just the passages where Jesus is speaking on his own? Jesus is giving us firsthand witness as to the gift of what the Holy Spirit is. And so we've looked at that in several places in the book of John uh, the last several weeks, and one, one more week next week, we've really been focusing on this section in the book of John, chapters 14 through 16, that scholars call the farewell discourse, because it's the speech Jesus gives to his disciples, the teaching he gives the night before he dies. And we've looked, again, at several things. In fact, we've seen uh, within that context, in those, those few chapters, there's more teaching of Jesus than any other place in the New Testament on the Holy Spirit. And we've seen actually five statements. They call them the five paraclete statements. Uh, That word for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. Uh, We're going to look at the last one. We're going to go back uh, 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 to the fourth one next week for Mission Sunday. I thought it hit better there. So if you have your Bibles and your devices, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week. We're in the book of John, chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. So if you would stand out of respect for God, you'll see the words on the screen that we just say is is an act of gratitude for the God who chooses to reveal the Lord's self to us. This is Jesus speaking the night before he died. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Don't you just hate when you lose something? (laughs) You lose something important. You lose something significant. You lose something that often for me, it's, it's right in front of my face. I'm notorious in our family for losing things that are right there, and I should know exactly where it is. I was putting together the slides for this Sunday. I came across this image. It reminded me of my senior year, senior year of high school. And I had a friend of mine that was going out of town for a week. He was going to go to the beach, and he wanted somebody to cover, cover for him at a little job he was doing. 
But he didn't really want to go through the, you know, the process of checking in with them. He said, would you just cover for me for a week? Now he was, they called it a lifeguard, but it really wasn't that. He was a glorified, you know, ID checker at like an apartment complex or a neighborhood, you know, where they had that local pool where you're supposed to go there only if you live there. And so for him, it was largely, he opened, he unlocked it. They didn't have a keypad like uh, our place does now. He had to unlock the door, let people in, and then he just kind of kept an eye on the pool, technically a lifeguard, but he didn't really do much of that. He just kind of opened it up, locked it up when he left. So he said, would you cover me for the week? I'm going to the beach. Great, I'll do it. And so I go in the first day, and I unlock the door. I work there, and I'm driving home. I'm driving down the interstate. And I notice next to me, there's this couple that's like flailing their arms and honking their horn and making these crazy gestures. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm not speeding this time. I'm not, I'm not doing anything crazy. Like, what's going on? And they're gesturing. They're like, and I'm like, what, what? And I think I kind of saw the mouth on your roof. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I pull over and there was the key to the pool on the roof of my car still after being on the interstate. I thank God for the little, you know, the keychain that had the little rubber thing. It was like Dr. Pepper or something. Somehow it stayed on the roof. I think about these moments. Do you have these moments where like, I lose things? My wife says I'm notorious for this. I'll lose it in my backpack. And I'll check it like five times. And she'll say, Dean, did you check your backpack? Yes, I did. And I'll go back. That's the fifth time. It's there. I think you sneak it in. I think she does this to me. <laughs> We've all had moments like that, right? But here's the thing. We, we can laugh about silly moments like this, that most they're annoying, but we all in our lives, where the loss that we feel runs much deeper than that, right? I was talking with a friend of mine just this week here at church, and we were doing what a lot of us have been doing as we've gone through this series on the Holy Spirit. We've been sharing stories of our experience of how God has showed up in our lives, how Jesus has given His Spirit at important moments in our lives, and the two of us were talking about when we both lost parents as children. And how God had showed up in our lives in bringing comfort through dreams of all things. That's a time of loss that runs a little bit deeper than losing your keys or your wallet in a backpack. Or I was talking with several friends. In fact, just had a moment with, a, with another friend. I was talking with some, some people all the last couple of weeks because a, a dear friend of mine is, is moving. And, I, and you know, I, even before... He's gone. I'm feeling that loss. We have these moments, don't we? And I think that's what's going on the night of the farewell discourse as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking into a moment of loss. Because we've reminded ourselves the last several weeks, before Jesus launches into the teachings about the Holy Spirit and love and all of that, he said these words in chapter 13. He said, I'm going away and you can't come where I'm going right now. And they're already feeling the anxiety of the loss. What do we do in times like that when someone that we care about, we're launching them off to school or they're leaving to go on a trip or in some ways we're grieving those times of our loved ones who may be uh, facing a, a terminal illness or whatever the case may be. If you're like me, in those times of leaving and loss, we feel the anxiety of saying everything that we need to say of doing everything that we need to do. We feel that. And here's what's amazing to me about Jesus the night before he died. There is no such frantic anxiety with Jesus in this particular time of leaving. And I, I ask myself, what is it that Jesus wants us to know for our times of loss and our times of distance and our times of leaving? 
Uh, from the outset of this passage, Jesus says something that, that leads me to, to see a, an important principle for our lives. The first thing he tells us is that God has an impeccable sense of timing. Now, if you're like me, I may not always feel it that way. God feels a little bit late to me sometimes. As the old saying goes, God is always on time, but rarely early. <laughs> but Jesus wants us to know there is a sense of timing about the work of our God. Uh, this is the way he says it. In verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear it right now. I want you to hear that as a statement of grace first, though. Jesus says, I've got so many more things I want to say. It's one of those leaving moments. In those times of loss, we, we're feeling the distance even before it happens. And in those moments, we get frantic and we want to say, well, everything we're going to say. Jesus says, I've got more to say. But I'm not going to do it because you can't bear it right now. I think it's important because it's an invitation for me to understand there are times when I don't understand everything God is doing. And in my life, I tend to go one or two extremes, neither of which is right. I'll either fret about it, chronic anxiety, or I'll try to force it. Have you ever tried to force God to answer your prayer? <laughs> try to control the situation or your life? Right? There's some famous examples in the Bible, Abraham and others trying to do that. God says, understand, the Lord is working, but here's what's important. God isn't just working to get an outcome in your life. God actually has a sense of timing about how God works in your life. Jesus says, I've got more things to say, but I'm not going to say it right now because you can't handle it. Isn't that interesting? It's part of the grace of our God to give us not just what we need, but to give it to us when we're ready for it. This is not the only place in the Bible we see an example of this. One of the first series I did here with this church was on the book of Exodus and the story of the Exodus. And perhaps you'll remember that God leads the Lord's people out, splits the Red Sea, leads them out of 400 years of slavery. And it says in chapter 13, there was a real direct route from slavery to the promised land. And it says in chapter 13 of the book of Exodus that God deliberately does not take them the short route. And it says because God knew that these people who had been slaves and were not battle ready at all, if they went the short route, they would face enemies. And obstacles that they were not ready for. So God took them the long way. By the way, his wasn't intended to be 40 years. But it was going to be longer than just the quick trip. Have you ever had a time in your life you're like, God, I want the answer and I want it right now. I want this relationship. I want it right now. I want this job. I want it right now. I want this situation to work out right now. Sometimes, Jesus says, I have a gift to give you. I have things that I want to share with you. But you cannot bear it right now. And it is the grace of our Lord to restrain himself and say, I'm not going to give it to you yet until you're ready. We see examples in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, and then also in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, if you're a note taker, if you look at these places, two different inspired teachers say, I wanted to go deep. Paul, and then the anonymous writer of Hebrews said, I wanted to go deep. The metaphor they used, I wanted to give you solid food, but you were only ready for milk. In the book of Hebrews, they said, I want to go on to some other teachings, but I can't do it right now. We've got to come back to the foundational teachings of the faith and how God relates to and rescues a broken world and all of that. 
Or in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 3, he has just come off the heels of what we talked about in previous weeks in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit of God searches the deep things of God and reveals it. But he said, I can't do that with you yet. Why? Because you're immature. You're ready only for milk. And in that example, he says, the reason is because you need to learn again how to treat each other because you're all fighting and you're dividing in churches. And it strikes me about, again, not this church, but but many churches in our culture, I wonder if one of the reasons that our churches are so spiritually shallow is because we haven't learned how to get along with each other. We're fighting with other Christians the whole time. Go read 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says you're not ready for it yet. That's part of the grace of our God to say, I will give you what you need when you're ready for it, but right now I've got to work on harmony and relationships, and then you'll be ready for more. It's part of the grace of our Lord. He has impeccable timing. Also says directly about Jesus in the book of Mark, we see it here, but Mark chapter 4, verse 33, it says Jesus is teaching all over the place with parables. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, but listen to this language, as much as they could understand. Isn't that kind of our Lord to say, I'm not going to give you more than you're ready for now. Now that doesn't mean that what we said a few weeks ago isn't true, that sometimes he'll give seeds and plant seeds in our lives we don't get yet and they'll come to fruition later. But Jesus has a healthy restraint. You say there's not just the work of God in our lives, there's the timing of God in our lives and do we trust that? Got a good friend of mine back in the Nashville area who, like Sean, is a therapist who is also a deep follower of Jesus. And he was telling me one time about how he sees the hand of God, especially in trauma. And he said, working with people that have had trauma, especially as a young child, he said, one of the things I realized is that children who experience trauma will often not remember it for a long time. You know this, right? But have you ever thought about the God side of this? He said, they will not remember it for a long time. But he said, in my experience, as a follower of Jesus, I have learned that God will often let them remember it only when they have the people, maturity, and support system in their life to be able to handle it. Wow. Did you know our God can do that? God has a sense of timing. Or when I did my doctoral work, I studied two different things coming together. I wanted to watch life change that actually happened. And I looked at the ancient Christians and the way they meditated and prayed. And I looked at 12-step recovery programs and how people changed their lives in a bunch of different programs. And one of the things I learned about, they talked about the, the stages of the 12 steps, six and seven, where you give up to God your character defects. In grace, you know God loves you, but you're willing to change. But here's what I learned from these 12-step folks, the very same thing. They said, isn't it wonderful that God will often reveal the defects to you only when you are ready to deal with it? Did you know God has a sense of timing? And we can actually come to the Lord, and when you're praying, and when you're searching, and when you're wrestling with something, remember, I'm giving it to God, but I'm also trusting not just that you will act, I'm trusting that you will do it when the time is right. Isn't that a glorious gift of our God? Now, Jesus, as he's describing the work of the Holy Spirit, what he will say to us is the gift that I'm giving you in the Holy Spirit is the gift of guidance. And we looked at different statements about what the paraclete, the one who walks beside, does for us in teaching and the presence of God and all of that. What is this final paraclete passage? It says we are given the gift of guidance. Jesus will guide us on the journey of our lives. In fact, the Greek word has the word road or, or path in it. He is the one who walks beside us on the journey of our lives and speaks into it what God would have us know. 
In fact, the language here, it could be translated into or in, probably the best translation is, He will guide you in all truth. He will guide you in the experience, understanding, and power of all the truth that God wants you to know. Wouldn't it be amazing to to not just make the decisions of your life and go in the course of your life based on what you think, but on the guidance of the very Holy Spirit of God? What if it were not just kind of my thoughts, what if it were revelation that we were given? And that's what Jesus promises. This is why he's not fretting when he leaves. This is why he's not worried when he has more things to say. Because he said, I'm, I'm not just leaving, I'm coming back. Even before the end of the time, I'm coming back. In the presence of my Holy Spirit to give you ongoing guidance of God's revelation. Now he makes it clear in chapter 14 and also here, we're not talking about, oh, changing the whole Christian system kind of revelation. It's not new in that sense. It's newly understood. It's newly empowered. He's already said in chapter 14, he's going to take what Jesus has already taught and remind us of it and empower us for it. Here, he's going to take what Jesus gives and he's going to make it come alive in our lives. Yes, it says he's going to speak as to what is yet to come. He's talking to that group of people. What's about to happen? Death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. All of the things that's about to happen in the Christ work and how it changes our lives today. By the way, revelation is no small thing. This is one of the reasons, many reasons, we worship Holy Spirit as one of the three persons of God. Because the Holy Spirit, in giving revelation of God, does what only God can do. God is alone the one that reveals things to us. What does it look like to get the guidance of the Holy Spirit? A couple examples come to my mind in language similar to this. One is in Isaiah 44. And when you see this, what you find here and there is that God will give us perspectives on what has already happened in the past and He will give us direction on where the Lord is going in the future and how we fit into that. Watch this, Isaiah 44, verse 7. Contrasting the true God with anybody who claims to be a God or like that in their ancient pagan world, he said, who then is like God? If anybody claims to be like God, let them declare and lay out before me what? What has happened? Since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them tell what will come. What does God say? I'm going to give you perspective on what's happened in your past. Have you ever wrestled with things that have happened in the past in your life? Decisions that you've made? Wouldn't it be helpful to have the revelation of God saying, here's how that fits with everything that I've done. God gives us that kind of guidance. Wouldn't it be great when we're making decisions about the future? This isn't just talking about the Holy Spirit will tell you who to marry and where to go to school and all that kind of stuff. It's just saying God, the Holy Spirit will tell you the whole direction of God in the world. And when you have, as Paul says, the mind of Christ about that, oh my goodness, it will make an enormous difference in the way you make decisions right now. He'll give you perspectives on your future. Uh, The other picture of the guidance of the Holy Spirit that I appreciate from the Old Testament, there are any number of them, But you think about times in your life when you're troubled by things that are going on right now. You're wrestling with something. Have you ever had times where it doesn't just feel like, oh, this is just everyday life? Does it ever feel like there's a time where it's really weighty? You feel like something big is happening, but you don't know what it is? You remember a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar? He was the most powerful king of the world at that time, king of Babylon. In the book of Daniel chapter 2, it says he had one of those moments. He had a dream. And he could tell it was not just like any other dream. It had a weight to it. And he really wanted to know the answer. And in fact, if you go read closely, Daniel chapter 2, I love this story because he makes it really clear 
that normally the people who are his advisors, he doesn't really trust them. Go read the story closely, you'll get this. Doesn't quite say it, but it does say it. Because this is what he says. Normally, he would have some dream, and he would go to his advisors and his astrologists and all that, and he would tell them the dream, and they would interpret it for them. But this time, it was different. You could tell it was so weighty, he didn't want to, to risk that they were making stuff up. You know this, you go to a fortune teller and astrologist today, you tell them a bunch of stuff, they'll make something up and it'll sound good. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not risking any of that, I'm coming to you, I had this weighty dream, I want you to do two things, I want you to tell me the dream first, then tell me what it meant, and they're all freaking out. In fact, he threatens their lives if they can't do it. And Daniel was one of the advisors at that time, and they said, hold on, before you kill us, there's this guy. We've heard he does weird stuff, and I heard he does stuff with dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he starts boasting about Daniel. I heard you can do this, and you can do all these things. Listen to the word of the Lord from Daniel. Chapter 2, verse 27, Daniel replied, No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he goes on to unpack it for him. Do you realize that same God who inspired Daniel to understand what was troubling the king in that moment stands ready to walk alongside you and me and reveal to us what is troubling us in our moments? Hear me, in God's timing, he will do that. This is the guidance our Lord will give. And isn't it powerful? And part of what I want to say, we've dropped these moments in all along. Do we believe it? Do we really believe Holy Spirit stands ready to walk alongside us and give us the very guidance of God into the nature of God and the purpose of God in our life? Do we believe that? I like to give just a little, little practical pieces that have been helpful to me. One of, the, one of the books that years ago were helpful to me, I call it a new classic. It's been around for a while. I'm sure I've mentioned it before. It's called Experiencing God. Take a look at this quote here. It talks about how is it the Holy Spirit can guide us today? I could be king say this, God speaks through a variety of means, still true, but in the present, God primarily speaks by the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, and Jesus is leading through his Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit lead? This is what he said, how does the Holy Spirit guide? Four primary ways, the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. I love it, it's so simple, but so meaningful and practical. How does the Holy Spirit lead? Through the Bible, through prayer, circumstances, and the church. And we can spend a lot of time on this. We won't. Just quickly think about this. I mentioned last week, let me say it again. Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture is not going to contradict what the Holy Spirit's already said. So the Holy Spirit will work through the Scripture He's already inspired. Now that doesn't mean He only works through the book, but He is working through the book and it will be consistent with what the Holy Spirit has already said. By the way, it's not just that, okay, we'll read a little thing and we know it's like a, a checklist of what to do. Here's what I've noticed is so beautiful about the Holy Spirit. He'll take verses you've read your whole life and he will move it from here in your mind to the center of your being. And only the Spirit of God can do that. And you know this. There are times when all of a sudden you feel like, man, I read a passage, but I need to live in this. Maybe you'll heard it at Bible class. You're hearing a sermon, you're like, hold on, it's not about what Dean said or what Brian said or whatever. I need to live in this passage for a while. Follow that. Holy Spirit will speak. Holy Spirit speaks through prayer. One of my major ways I mentioned before, let me say it again, how Holy Spirit works through prayer is in prayer you will experience the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, fruit. You will experience fruit of the Spirit. Oh, what do I mean? Sometimes if I'm discerning and I'm wrestling with something, if there is an overwhelming sense of peace, not just what I want, but a sense of peace, that may very well be the fruit of the Spirit speaking in the time of the context of prayer. Does that make sense? 
Circumstances. How, how often have we seen this to be true? We see this in the book of Acts when Paul wanted to go one place and he couldn't. And wanted to go to another place and he could. Open doors and closed doors are often ways God uses circumstances in our lives to say, you might look at this and not at this. Like it doesn't have to be some burning bush all the time. God can work through circumstances. And I think one of the most important ones to discern the other three is the last one. God speaks through the body of Christ and the people of God in the church. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I do not trust what Jesus said to me with me and Jesus under a tree. I don't. I'm not going to go sit in a back room and pray and the Lord has told me that you all have to know. I'm going to discern it together with the closest people in my lives. And that's why we have shepherds and elders and leaders in this place and spirit-filled people in this place. The Lord will lead through the body of Christ. Now, here's my personal experience. may not be yours, my personal experience. I am more and more and more confident that the Spirit is leading when it's almost all of these and not just one of them. Does that make sense? When God speaks through the Bible and in my time of prayer and in the circumstance of my lives and through the people of God, when all of those are come together, three or four happen and I'm feeling pretty confident. Does that make sense? So again, the question is, do we actually believe the Lord leads and guides? And you want to actually bring that into part of your prayer life. Lord, would you guide me in what I'm dealing with today? And quickly, two things I want to say as we, as we finish up. There are two marks of the kind of guidance that the Holy Spirit gives that I think make it stand apart from any other guidance we would get. first one is so important, Jesus emphasizes. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is first-hand knowledge. What do I mean by that? First-hand knowledge. It's, it's like the world of difference between when I'd watch movies about Vietnam, the Vietnam War, and I would read books about it in class and all that, and when my sister introduced me to a former Green Beret who was there, and he was telling me the stories of what it was like to try to be absolutely silent when people were feet away from him in the jungles of Vietnam. Do you feel the difference? Holy Spirit gives first-hand knowledge. What does Jesus say? How does he say it here? In verse 14, he said, the Holy Spirit's coming to reveal me to the world. And this is what he says. Jesus said, he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. He will take from what is mine and declare it to you. By the way, the Trinity is so beautiful. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in outdoing the other in self-giving love. So Jesus says the same thing about the Father. Back in chapter 12, he says, the words that I'm giving you are exactly what the Father gave me. And he goes on to say in this passage, everything the Father has is mine. And then he says, I'm giving it to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's giving it to you. Here's a simple way to think about this. You're not getting like the, the uh, Instagram post on God here. You're not just getting a book study on God. You are getting revelation of God from God. <laughs> it's firsthand stuff. The Holy Spirit, who has existed and danced and interacted with and loved God, the Father and the Son, for all of eternity, is choosing to come into our lives and reveal that God that He has known for all eternity with those of us. Isn't that breathtaking? It's first-hand knowledge. I've given this image to our elders and our leadership team before I've talked to this with our ministry leadership team. I think I might have shared this in Bible class too, but it, it stuck with me so much when I was in law school. I want to share this image. What, is, what does it look like to have this kind of firsthand knowledge? I, I remember in law school, and I would talk often about my best teacher in law school, my worst teacher in law school, my worst teacher in law school, and I know, go ahead and insert your joke now, lawyer joke now. My worst teacher was our ethics professor, <laughs> right? legal ethics professor. He was our worst teacher. It wasn't because he wasn't a great speaker, he was. He was. It wasn't because he wasn't smart. He was a brilliant man. I mean, he's teaching at the University of Virginia. He didn't get that job very easily. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. 
Here's why he was my worst professor, by the way. You got to understand this. The point of an ethics professor is they'll do a lot of side things, but the main job of an ethics professor in law school is to teach future lawyers how to deal ethically with their clients. Do you understand this? The, the job of an ethics professor is to teach lawyers how to deal ethi with, ethically with their clients. Why was he such a bad teacher? His information was wonderful. Why was he a bad teacher? Guess what he never had? Anybody know? He never had a client. So he went straight from undergraduate to law school and straight from law school into academia and he got on the faculty because he wrote really well and he published great articles about legal ethics, but he never had a client. So that meant when I had a question about what do you do in a situation like this or somebody in the class, he could never say, well, you know, I had that situation one time and here's what we did. He would look it up in the book or he would say it really eloquently. But it was secondhand knowledge, you understand that? Now contrast that with one of my best professors in law school. His name was Earl Dudley. By the way, he didn't get tenure. You know why? He didn't publish enough. All Professor Dudley did was practice law in courtrooms in Washington, D.C. for about 20 to 25 years. And do all the ins and outs of that. He did that experience, and he loved his students well, so he would invest in our lives outside of class. He was our moot court and trial advocacy professor. He taught us how to do actual cases and not just read them in the books. And I remember we'd raise our hands and we'd say, Professor Dudley, I took him for federal rules of evidence. What do you do in a situation like this? And guess what he said? Well, you know, 10 years ago we had a case and we had a problem getting this evidence admitted, and this is what we did. Hear me, why do I say this? Because Jesus says the gift of the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is not the ethics professor. He didn't just write a book. He's not just talking about God. He is part of the very heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he speaks, he's giving you first-hand knowledge about life and God and you. Now, this seems like such a simple thing, but I emphasize this, especially for these two aisles here, but it's true for all of us. I'm shocked, even in my own life, how often we are willing to take second-hand wisdom for the most important things in life. How often we are willing to outsource to other people who don't really know what they're talking about. Questions about relationship, and about our career, and about sexuality, and about money and about direction and purpose in life. And we'll listen to anybody who has an Instagram post or a blog feed or has written a book or a few letters after their name and we forget to go to the author of life to ask him life's most important questions. Don't ever settle for secondhand knowledge. Jesus says the guide who's personally not just walking with you but living inside of you wants to tell you straight from the heart of God what is most deeply true. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. The last mark, and we'll, we'll, we'll land this plane. What is an authenticating mark of the Holy Spirit working in your life? One of the last things Jesus says, here's the thing, the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, hold on, this sounds like a preacher line, hear me. Holy Spirit loves to draw attention to Jesus to lift up Jesus, to call people's gaze upon Jesus. Holy Spirit loves to do this. In verse 14, Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. When Holy Spirit comes into your life, He will glorify me. Why is that important? Churches divide all over the place. 
because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And one of the marks of a spiritually immature church is they spend all their time talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not about Jesus. Bless you. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, we're doing a whole spirit, series on the Holy Spirit because in my experience in a lot of churches, we so neglected the third person of the Trinity, we need to, we need to bring him out there. But listen... Throughout the book of John especially, the Father and the Son are pointing to each other time, all the time, glorifying them. Holy Spirit loves to point to Jesus who points to the Father. That doesn't mean we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We do glorify the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all that. That's okay. But the Holy Spirit loves to lift up Jesus. And I'm reading one of the many books. I'm just kind of reading, just getting stuff in my heart about all this stuff. There's one guy who's really experienced in working with churches that sometimes blow themselves up with Holy Spirit stuff. <laughs> He said, people will come in, and he said, the first question I ask is, who are you talking about? Which person of the Trinity are you talking about? Are you talking about you and your gifts? Are you talking about the Holy Spirit all the time? Are you talking about Jesus? He said, one of the major distinguishing marks of someone who is filled with the Spirit of God is they talk about Jesus. Here's a great quote from him that I think is super helpful for anybody that wants to go deeper in our walk with God. He said, no one in the church can ever object to someone who talks more about Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. We'd find a way. But you know what I mean. <laughs> So you use the power of the Holy Spirit to talk about Jesus because that's what he was given for you to do. He is the most self-effacing person of the Trinity. He doesn't want you to talk about him. He wants you to talk about Jesus. Isn't that great? <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, yes, we thank the Holy Spirit, yes. But it leads us to love more deeply the Father and the Son as well, and that will come out of our pores. Let that be a distinguishing mark for us. I, I want to end with this because I told you, I don't want to just preach on this. I really want to try to practice pursuing the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus in my life. And what does that look like? And a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to go here, Camp Eagle in Hill Country, Rockbridge. Some of you may have been there. So glorious. Did a little mini retreat there. And uh, it was so great because it was on the heels of this brutal summer, right? And so the retreat was over. Everybody left. And I'm like, I'm not just leaving. I'm going and I'm going to hike before we go. And I asked some of the guys down at the bottom of the camp. We're down at the bottom of the camp. I was like, what's a good place to hike? And he said, well, there's a couple of trails. One's probably too long. You don't want to do that because you want to get out of here. It's probably looking at me old and fat. You probably can't do the long one. So just do the short one. And so I get up to the top of the hill, and, and this is the first one I saw. Uh, and this is like a little trail that goes down the hill to a cross. And that's where he told me to go. Go to the short one. It's okay, cool. Like, I definitely want to get to the cross. That looks really cool. But I made the mistake of turning to my right, and this is what I saw. I don't know about you, but that looks cool, right? It's like, and it's even steeper than it looks, but it's like, it's up there. And like, again, he said, well, you don't want to do that for time. He was saying that to be nice. Again, I think he didn't think I can handle it. It's called endurance trail or whatever. I'm like, okay. But I'm like, dude, I'll get to the cross. No, no, not yeah. I'll get the cross, but I'm going to go up that hill first. And I go up and listen, I'm walking with God and I'm like, I'm just trying to practice. Let it be a prayer. Like I, you don't just have to pray like this. I'm a guy, like, I like to pray with my eyes open. And like, as I'm seeing these beautiful things, I'm, I'm just making a dialogue with God. And then, of course, I get to the top of a hill, and this is what I see. It's a tower. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I see something like this. And can anybody guess what I wanted to do in this moment? I want to climb the tower. But look, I'm trying to be a good, like I'm at a Bible camp, and I just like taught. So I just want to, I want to be faithful and right and good. And so I'm like, all right, like, does God answer these prayers? Like, ask your parents if you can pray this prayer. But this is, this is a prayer I prayed. I'm like, all right, God, I want to climb that tower because I want to see some more stuff. But here's the thing. If there's a sign that says I can't or a lock on the door, I won't do it. 
Does that seem fair? Like, like, I don't know if you answer this prayers, but God, we're having fun up here. Let's do that. And so I came up, next slide, and there was no lock and there was no sign. <laughs> I thought, okay, I'm going up there. And I went up to the top and saw this beautiful, just incredible sight. You could just see so far. It was absolutely gorgeous. By the way, I did follow the rules because that cool looking bridge, which would be really awesome to walk on, that was locked, so I did not go on it. <laughs> thought about it, but I did not go on it. And of course, I ended the walk by coming back to where I should have gone in the first place, literally in the shadow of the cross. Here's the reason I tell you this. I know it's such a simple example, but I really have been trying to practice what I've been preaching. And so I wanted this to be an encounter when I'm just praying and I'm praying and I'm walking with God. And I just, I, I remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And I told you about a teacher of mine who's a cop who asked the question, does God actually help cops be cops? And I just thought, as I'm taking a hike, does, does Jesus actually hike with people? Does he actually hike with people? And that's what I did. I prayed, like, will you actually hike with me? Well, can we go do this together? And it became this delightful thing. And I'm telling you, before I left that mountain, God put two things in my heart that were so powerful. One is a, a lesson he's taught me from Scripture again and again and again, in my life again and again and again, and I have a hard time believing it. And the other was something fresh. Quickly, I'll tell you this. First one, the one he teaches me again and again is what? I'm never alone. He told me, I told you before, and I've gone on hikes. He keeps telling me this now. Every time we go on a hike together, you're not alone. You've never been alone. And all those times in your life you've been walking, I've been walking right alongside with you. I need to hear that. I don't know about you. I, I live in fear that God's just going to leave me. He's had enough of me. But he was right there with me, and I sensed that. But here's the part that was fresh. And I told this to my wife the other day. I won't tell you all the depths of it. But something that became fresh to me. When I was a little kid, dad died when I was 10, and so my mom had to work so hard, she had to go out in the home. I was the only one there. And I, I'm an extrovert, you might know that, and, and I spent a lot of time alone. Come home from school alone. There were times I had to be alone. I remember to learn how to be alone. And I don't know, this is kind of silly, it's kind of embarrassing, but one of the things I did for a long time, like many years to pass the time as a kid, I had a little Nerf hoop, <laughs> a little basketball hoop in my room, and I created an entire league and I had players, and I had stats, and they had different ways of shooting. I always liked somebody that was playing. I know this is silly, but I'm, I spent hours playing alone, and sometimes it was so lonely. But you know what I sense God saying on that mountaintop? You weren't alone, son. I was there playing with you. I was right there. I was playing with you. Because we were up on a mountain this time, and we're hiking, and I'm finding new trails, and I'm climbing up the tower, and I sensed that God was the Father loving His Son and just playing with Him. And I realized, you've been doing that my whole life. I thought He had to like teach me something, had to be some heavy Bible lesson or something, or some repentance thing. No, did you know the Father God loves to play with His kids? And sometimes the little lonely boy needed to be played with with the Father. And He said, I've been doing that your whole life. So here's what hit me. If God can do all of that with the guidance of the Holy Spirit on a silly walk for an hour at a camp retreat, what about the journey of your life? What do you think God wants to do? God the Holy Spirit, who is the guide who has been there every step of the way for you. That Holy Spirit wants to walk with you because he's been there where you are, and where you most want to go. And that's our prayer, Father God, that you so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we cannot help but to celebrate, look to, and pay attention to your Son, Jesus. And thank you for always walking with us on a journey, 
reminding us of the most important things that we forget day in and day out and teaching us afresh things your son Jesus tried to say years and years and years ago. We ask you to so fill us, Father God, that as we walk into the world on our journey, that other people will see you and glorify the name of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing? 